Hey folks, my name is Andy Sido. Welcome back to another episode of Middle Class Rockstar. My guest this week is blues singer and guitarist Hector Anchando. Hey there. Welcome to another week, another Thursday, or whenever you're listening. It's great to be with you. And it's been cool to see the the numbers go up. I've, I've never paid a whole lot of attention to analytics with this podcast. I've never really, um, you know, looked at weekly listeners because when I first started it, I used to look every, you know, every week or two and every podcast would have like six, you know, six people listening to it. And it was such a bummer that I was spending all this time and nobody was listening. And then I thought, you know what? That's not why I did the podcast. I did it to talk to people I want to talk to, and I really enjoy doing it. And so I don't look at analytics very often, right? I put it away. And now almost three years later, we're almost to the three-year anniversary. I look, I've been starting to look again here and there. And most of these episodes are getting hundreds of plays and getting in the thousands some. And it's really, uh, it's really, really cool to watch. So anyway, for those of you listening for the first time or um, have been listening for a while, thanks. <laughs> That's all I got on that. Um, quick note, I will be touring solo this summer. Um, I'm doing my Dirty 30 baseball tour. I'm turning 30 the end of August. And to celebrate, um, I'm putting out an EP three-song EP, uh, and and touring the Midwest. I'm going through Nebraska. I'll be doing the Lark, the Listening Room in Hastings, um, the Zoo Bar in Lincoln, solo. I'm doing a a Friday afternoon club, um, second to last, Friday of August, I think. I'll have to double-check that. Um, And then a couple house concerts as well in Aurora and Grand Island. Um, Then a couple shows in St. Louis at the Focal Point, um, and at BB's Jazz Blues and Soups, headed down to Nashville, doing the Moxie down there, and then also three nights at Eddie V's, which is a place I play here in Denver, and it's piano trios. Um, so I play piano and sing with a bass and a drummer. It's a lot of covers, but it's it's also a you know a fun time. We kind of do some weird renditions of things and meet some great musicians. It's awesome. Uh, then from there, I'll head up to Cleveland. Um, I've got my, my best friends getting married in Cleveland, so I'm going to do a, a few shows on the way up. Hopefully, if you want to host a house concert or you've got a listening room, let me know in between Nashville and uh, in Cleveland. Um, and then headed back on I-80, and I'm doing a couple more Eddie V's gigs in Troy, uh, Michigan, outside of Detroit, and in Chicago as well. And why it's the Dirty 30 Baseball Tour? Because I'm taking in baseball games on my off days. That's right. It's going to be the coolest thing. I can't wait. Um, and as much as I love the band, I can't wait to leave them at home. You know, I'll stop when I want, where I want. I'll get Cracker Jacks in the third inning if I if I decide. And uh, anyway, it's going to be a lot of fun. On to my guest. My, my guest today is Hector Anchando. Uh, I first heard his name, I think... Uh, I think during the IBCs in 2020, I went down there because a student group of mine was doing a youth showcase and um, I had a couple gigs in surrounding towns. So I went down, hung out for the week, saw some friends, saw a lot of great performances. I did not get to see Hector play, um, but I 
heard that he won the solo duo, and a lot of people were very excited about it. Um, you know, like, man, he really deserved it. He did great. I'm so happy he got it. And, uh, and I thought, wow, Hector must be a really cool dude um, because everybody's, everybody talks so highly of him. And, uh, and uh, yeah, so I checked out his music then. And I'm very glad to get to chat with him now, thanks to our mutual friend, Tammy, um, who's who's just a little bit outside of Omaha, Nebraska. I guess lots of Nebraska stuff today. Um, and Hector's from Nebraska. He lives in the, in the uh, surrounding Omaha area, actually, just over the border in Iowa. Um, but anyway, Tammy connected us. Thanks, Tammy. And uh, we set up this conversation, and we chatted about all kinds of things, you know, blues music. Uh, other other kinds of music too, but kind of how he got into the blues. His year in Chicago, where he went to to learn and be immersed in the culture. We talked a lot about IBC, about blues and music in general as a competition. Um, we talked about his kid. I've uh, talked about being shy. We talked about all kinds of stuff. It's a it's a really wonderful conversation, um, and I was I was so happy to get to sit down with him. And as I as I just mentioned, I go back to the IBC for a second. Hector won the solo duo um, category. I guess they have a band category and a solo duo category, and he won the solo duo category of the International Blues Competition, which takes place every January in Memphis, end of January. So he won, and he also uh, won the Memphis Cigar Box Award, which is given to the best solo duo guitarist. So he really swept it. And he'd been down there before, twice with his band, and made it to the semifinals one year and the finals another year. Um, but uh, anyway, he won it. He won the whole thing. And he's somebody that's going to be, as soon as, uh, as soon as clubs really start opening back up, he's going to be a hot name to get uh, in, in the blues circuit. So without further ado... Let's jump in to my conversation with Hector Anchando. Quick thanks to our sponsors. First, PQ Mastering. Patrick at PQ Mastering puts the finishing touches on this podcast. And for any of your podcast or audio restoration needs, go to pqmastering.com. Also, Narrator Music. For simple and affordable licensing for sync, visit narratorrf.com. For any sponsorship inquiries, shoot me an email at middleclassrockstar at gmail.com. Hector, what's happening? Oh, not too much. Just hanging. Are you in Omaha? I am. Well, technically on the other side of the river, which is Council Bluffs, Iowa, but it's all like the greater Omaha area. Oh, gotcha. Gotcha. Is that where you've been for a while in, in, in that same city? Yeah. Cool. Yeah, cool, I've been cool. here um, since 99, but I, I did live in Chicago for a little while as well. Yeah. Yeah. You went, what, for a year or something like that, right? Or longer? Yeah. Uh, almost a year. I think about a year and a half. Cool. 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 And yeah. did you, you went out there for the blues, right? Yeah. It was kind of, um, it was kind of for, for the blues. Cause I, I previously had been playing in my, my earlier band which was a, a mixture of Latin and reggae and rock kind of sounds. So I, I, I just got to a point where 
uh, that band had run its course and um, the blues um, was pulling me toward it and, and playing music that was just more satisfying to me was just pulling me, you know, all together. So I found myself in Chicago to kind of just soak up the blues out there. And so, cause I wanted to, since I was doing a genre shift, I'd always played blues and there's blues and plenty of blues guitar lead leads in my old stuff, but I wanted to make sure I came, you know, that I, that I was an authentic sounding player. You know, I wanted to, I didn't want to sound like somebody that was just trying to imitate the blues. I wanted to, I wanted it to sound real. Yeah, absolutely. And and we'll jump back more into that in a few minutes, but um, just to jump back a little bit for some context, um, you know, when did you first start getting into music? How old were you and what was the influence? You know, I was always into music, uh, but I didn't start playing until I was 16. But I'd always I'd always song in choir all through school. But uh, I started playing guitar when I was 16. And the thing that inspired me was I was so we rarely ever had we lived out in the country in Missouri and we didn't get cable, you know, TV out there. Yeah. So, uh, we had, a occasionally we had, we had a, one of those old school satellites that was just gigantic. It was a 20 something foot, uh, satellite dish. Yeah. And, you know, occasionally we would have we'd have access to different TV channels with that, but it was only a matter of time before it got struck by lightning. So we we rarely ever had it, and when we'd get it fixed, it was just a matter of it was just a countdown until it got struck by lightning again. Was that a common thing? It getting struck by lightning is that? Yeah, I, I believe so. Especially yeah. where we were at, there was lots of lots of iron in the ground, so. I don't, you know, that could have been a factor for, you know, kind of just drawing the lightning over that way more. And, uh, cause I mean, had lightning struck over there all the time. There was, there was one time we were all on our porch yeah, and it was a big lightning storm and we we're just out there watching it. And all of a sudden, I mean, I don't know how close to the lightning strike we got, but all of a sudden we're an engulfed into a, a blue haze and every everything turned blue and you, you could feel you could feel it in your your you know the hair on your body everything just started you know you could just feel the energy around you and the dog freaked out like it freaked out like somebody was trying to murder the dog oh my gosh <laughs> the dog ran inside the house um but yeah that's uh, that's probably the closest interaction i've ever had with lightning you know yep. so it was a real common thing around there I mean, did it get close enough where, it, I mean, everything was just daylight, you know, for a split second where you could see everything perfectly? Yeah, well, it was in the middle of the day, which was, it was made it even more bizarre, you know, wow. that everything around us, that there was just turned like blue, you know, yeah. it, was a, it was a light blue haze in the air. And, you know, it was truly bizarre. And, uh, that was the, <laughs> and I'm not sure you know, how to fully explain it. I don't know if it hit the roof of the house right above us or if it struck right next to us and we didn't see the actual strike, but it was, I mean, it had to have been really, really close to us. Wow. Okay. Yeah. 
Okay. Well, sorry, sorry to lead you off on the tangent, but continue. <laughs> oh, oh, no worries. And um, so one of the times we did have TV um, through the satellite, I uh, found, I, you know, I would always seek out the, the music channels and I, I think it was VH1 and the Guns N' Roses was on there with their song, November Rain and watching and listening to slash play on that song is a really beautiful guitar solo. And from that moment, I was like, that's, I want to play guitar, you know, like that. I want to play really beautiful sounding guitar. And and that's all I've been doing ever since. Wow. And so music first came to you. I mean, when, when you said that you wanted to do it, it was, it was, from the guitar first, not necessarily the vocals, because you're a great vocalist also, and you you know you listen to your stuff. Thank I you. mean, you can very much hold hold your own just as a singer too, if you wanted to. But it it came it came kind of the magic came through guitar first. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, I did. I was already singing in choir and stuff through school. Sure. But when I really, uh, when I really caught the music bug, it was through guitar. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And, and, uh, you ended up in Omaha, did you say in 1999 or the Omaha area? Yeah. I was born in Omaha, but then we moved down to the farm in Missouri when I was really young and before, before I was even in school and then moved back to Omaha in 99. Okay. And what was the decision for the move? It was a combination of things. Um, I, I just graduated high school and uh, my mom had been having trouble keeping up with the bills and um, she wanted us to all focus on school. And but by the time I graduated, the decision was reached that we were just going to all move to Omaha and, um, and uh, you know, and, hopefully have more access to work because down in down in Salem, Missouri, the, oftentimes there's not a lot of opportunity unless you're, you know, unless you're somebody's family um, and you can get into the family biz or something like that. You know, it's just small town. So there's not a whole lot of work opportunities. Yeah. Yeah. So what'd you end up doing for work when you moved? Uh, lots of different things. I mean, I mo my main thing was always, I wanted to, focus on music and I did for the most part but I mean I worked all kinds of jobs dishwashing jobs uh working McDonald's three different times way back in the day oh grocery stores um I mean all of it was pretty short-lived you know and then I just but you know as soon as I got out to Omaha I was pretty actively um seeking you know, seeking out gigs and so that I wanted to start making money playing music and so that I could not just for the, not just for the sake of making money, but so that I could keep, I knew I had to make money if I wanted to make music the focal point of my, of my life, you know, for always. So. Yeah, absolutely. And did you ever have any trouble with any of those jobs, like if you got a gig and you had to make a decision, hey, are you going to show up for your McDonald's shift? Or are you going to do the gig? Did you ever run into any uh, conflicts with that on some of those early jobs? Yeah, I did. I did. Uh, mo- most of the time, most of the time, uh, 
folks were willing to work with me on my schedule, but you know, there was a couple times where I just w- walked away from a job, you know, cause I was like, well, there's two options. I either miss the gig or, you know, or I don't. And you know, so there's really, for me, there was only one option. You never miss the gig. Nope. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's great. And, uh, what was the first band you got into out there? That, I mean, my, you were it in. Was, it was after it was named after my last name. Uh, when I was, you know, before when I was in high school, one of my friends' dads mentioned that my last name would make a cool band name, you know, kind of like Santana. And when he said that, I was like, I thought that would, I was like, well, that would be cool. And so when I got to Omaha, I did I started my band. It was called Unchondo. And my cousin was the rhythm guitarist. His cousin was the bassist. And we found well, there's this guy um, down the street. His younger brother was friends with my younger brother or my cousin. His younger brother was friends with my cousin. And and so that's how I met up with the drummer at the time. And then and then I uh, just just started playing, booking as many shows as possible and just started getting out there. And you were mentioning that there was lots of influences in that in the first group. I mean, you were doing some Latin stuff and, and some rock and roll. Um, were you just kind of pulling from a lot of different things at that point? Had you started listening to blues a whole lot at that point or were you kind of in a different headspace? Well, I started out I started out playing guitar uh, with blues. Yeah. Um, and then in that band, there was a lot of my blues, my guitar leads were blues, all blues based. And, but it's just, I think it's just, I think it was because my overall love of just music in general, if it's good music, it's good, you know? And so I liked everything. So I wanted to, anything that I liked out there, I just kind of saw it as a, a colorscape that I wanted to, apply you know into the music yeah what what were some of the coolest gigs you did with that group uh one of the coolest was we got to open up for sticks and that was the the conversation no when way i got the phone call for that was pretty pretty funny because the guy called me was in uh he was from De- the show was in denison iowa he's like hey he's like my son's a big fan we have a we have sticks coming in and we're looking for an opener would you be interested in opening for sticks and i'm like sticks he's like yeah sticks i'm like like the band sticks he's like yeah the the classic rock band sticks he's like yeah. the, the sticks sticks and yeah, yeah i said well and of course i said absolutely so that was really cool um how many people were there there I, there wasn't as many as i thought there would be there is, you know, because it's in Denison, Iowa, so it's a small town. But I'd say there might have been 3,000 people there. Wow. And did you get to meet them? I didn't. They, uh, the their bus pulled up. They never exited the bus until it was time to play. And then as soon as they were done playing, they all walked right back onto the bus and then they just left. Oh, man. Well, I don't know if they felt like it was because there wasn't as many people. I thought there was going to be a lot more there. So they could have been disappointed about, you know, because they're sticks, you know, like 
Yeah. I felt like there should have been at least 10,000 people there. Maybe they've played so many shows um, that, that they don't want to meet the opener and, and, yeah. and talk to the audience and sign autographs. I don't know. It could be. It could be because, I mean, I mean, when you're doing a big tour like that, you get so exhausted, you know, that the only thing you want to do is go to bed, you know, right after the gig. Sure. You know, at least I've had some of those experiences. Of course. Where, you know. Of course. Well, and if you have the luxury to just get back on the bus and fall asleep, then, hey, why not? Yeah. Yeah, that'd be amazing. <laughs> uh, uh, so then what caused Anchando to break up? At what point were you like, or, or I mean, or have you broken up? Do you still do some stuff now yeah. and then? Uh, well, I guess it was kind of like we broke up, but it was more, um, it, we, never, we never technically broke up, but we all sure. kind of just started going our separate ways. You know, because in that band, we all started out in that band pretty young. And and I I went through different players um, at different times, but largely we kind of just stuck together, at least the, the core of the band, which was myself and my cousin, Big G, and the drummer, Alex Mosier. Um, but, you know, we were, we just all were growing up and, and our lives were pulling us in different directions. So that's what happened to that one. And it just, so it just kind of just naturally took its course. And, and then, and so it was time I started playing in an R and B cover band, mm. R and B and blues um, with these older fellows. And the band was called Burgundy and gray. And, and I, I was having, it was really satisfying because I just got to kick back and just play guitar all night long, you know, which was nice to, I love singing, but it was nice just to really be able to focus on the guitar. Yeah. And, um, and so when I was playing in that band, I realized how much I loved, you know, not only playing blues, but also, um, uh, just the playing guitar in general and having more freedom to express myself on the guitar and because of my band on Chundo, everything in that band. And we did a lot of really, really cool things in that band, but then um, largely it was the songs were all very, it was, everything was all very well put together and the songs were the, the songs, the way they are. And the fans liked the songs exactly the way that we had the songs recorded for the most part. And I wanted to let the songs breathe and, you know, explore, you know, explore them musically, you know, at least, you know, kind of, you know, that was never a jam band, but I, you know, like wanted to have those, pursue those avenues as far as be able to have the freedom like a jam band to be able to take the music someplace in a live setting. And, And I tried that with that band, you know, I was like, okay, maybe I can just reinvent kind of reinvent the band a bit and take it in a, in a, in a, on a course that's more satisfying to me. Yeah. Um, and I, so I, I tried it and I actually had people that got really upset that I was, you know, they, they got, they got upset at me and they vocalized it. And th- this one guy said had brought his girlfriend cause he was been talking the band up and he was, he messaged me and told me how pissed off he was that, you know, he said it was a horrible show 
and that you know he was there to hear the songs and he's like all you did was jam your guitar which is which is not true he was exactly yeah it just you know there were extended guitar solos but it wasn't you know there was no 20 minute songs or anything like that right but, so that was really disappointing to me um the negative you know backlash that that got when i was trying to do something a little bit different to satisfy my soul was this someone that, that you knew was this someone it that was you some, knew it was somebody i knew not not really well um it was more like a friend of the families but it was it was really disappointing him and there was other people that vocalized it too not he was the worst one but as far as like his disappointment went um but and but I mean, it was it was but that was disappointing to me and yeah so that that got me to thinking i should just start something fresh you know did you ever have have any you know when you heard these things from people did you ever have any thoughts like i'm doing the wrong thing and the thing that satisfies my soul is maybe not the thing for the greater good i mean did you doubt yourself at all at that point yes for sure because you know there's a big part of me that i mean the big one of the things i love about playing music is i love to make folks happy you know and i i want people to forget about where they're at you know about any problems they have so i i have a strong desire to make folks happy as an entertainer um so but at the same time i knew that if i was playing something that i w that wasn't making me happy that i knew i would have a difficult time making them happy yeah but so wow. yeah i just had to make the decision to to do something that I, that would be more fulfilling to me and what year are we in at this point that was probably around 2008 2007 it actually okay so it might have been 2009 there was a year, there was a big pivotal year cuz one of the things that did happen in that earlier band was the uh, the uh, the recession of 2008 because we we just got an album we just recorded our new album and we really we had high hopes that that would you know because with that band we really almost we really almost got to to that point that the band would really start taking off and we could you know and we were just kind of hoping that that would help save the band because there was there there were issues so we recorded that last album and then as soon as we got it recorded we had the album release and i think weeks it was a couple of weeks before the album release happened. There was the, you know, the economic, all the scares of the economic downturn had begun. And that's when everybody started racing to the, the gas pumps and some gas stations that, like went up to $5 a gallon, you know, yeah. overnight. And everybody got scared uh, financially, which, you know, right, rightfully so. And we were hoping to get in about 500 people through the door and then when we'd be able to just pay the bills and um and then when that happened i think we, i think we had maybe 200 people through the door so that was a that was hard that was really hard and and we could i mean obviously we could have kept going and play more shows to pay to pay get everything taken care of but i think once that was the that was the beginning of the end when all that happened and the the CD release wasn't as successful as we hoped. 
And, yeah. uh, and I think, I think, you know, and it sounds kind of silly because, you know, it's just one show, but that band, it was just, that was definitely the, the final the straw with that band. I think everybody was just kind of sick of everything at that point. Yeah. Oh, of course. I mean, that, that, that happens with, with all band, most bands at some point, right? You know, yep. there's the, the straw. Yeah. And, and I mean, at that point, were you a full-time musician, musician, or were you still working some, uh, some odd jobs at that point? I was a full-time musician. I mean, I didn't have a place to live, live. I mean, I had places to I could crash, uh, you know, I crashed on couches. There was a period of like 10 years where I didn't have a bed. Um, wow. You know, it's just sleeping on the couch or in the van or, you know, on friends floors on the road. Um, so I, I mean, cause I, I've always been, you know, music, you know, music's always been my life and I've been extremely dedicated to it. And I just always find myself going above and beyond to make sure that, it, you know, the music was always, always happening and going. Were you on the road a lot at that point? I mean, were you touring the country a lot? I was, I was, um, before, right before I'd say before the, uh, the recession hit in 2008 we were touring all the time all the time and um and and that's kind of always how i've always been other than there's some periods where i just wasn't able to tour as much um like pretty much only the the uh, you know when that when the when that band was kind of on its way out and i was kind of finding my way into what i do now that was the least amount I'd ever played since, you know, since my early twenties. Wow. Wow. So as, as the band, as you're kind of starting into this new thing, you're called back to the blues, um, you know, and on Chando's finishing up, was that, was that then right after, you know, that show you need to start something new. So was that the same kind of time, eight, nine, ten? Yeah, it was well, it was after because there was a period of time where I was I was just pretty depressed about how, you know, it just kind of fell apart. I'm like I, you know, I, I really I dedicated so much, you know, in that past ten years. You know, I was I would the only thing I did was that band. You know, as far you know when I when I wasn't on the road, I was online all you know the entire day, and the only time I you know even on when I was on the computer, I'd have my guitar right there and I'd be practicing and then I. You know, I message people trying to get them to check out the band. Um, I was just, um, and I, I guess I kind of lost my train of thought. But I mean, that's the the I did. I totally lost my train of thought. <laughs> no, that's okay. That's okay. Um, but in putting together this new group under your name. Um, you know, Hector Anchondo band before you were doing just solo stuff, I guess. Um, who, who backed you up? I mean, did you, did you bring your cousin back on again? Was it a completely different lineup of folks? It was mostly, uh, well, by the, the very, the very last years where I was touring and my band Anchondo, I had a great friend of mine that well, he was a guitarist, but he had been playing bass, the very tail end of that band. So when I started my new, my new band, he, he was playing bass for me for 
quite a few years in the beginning of that. But my cousin, he stepped down. He, um, you know, respectfully uh, focused on his family and um, went a different, took a different career path. Yeah. And the drummer, Alex Mosier, he later he did drum for me for a while in in you know in the band that I'm that I pursue now, which just I go by Hector and Chondo now. He 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 drummed for me for a while, and then he just I think he was just I think he was kind of over touring. You know, not touring's not for everybody. I mean, sure, uh, there's a lot of things about touring that's not even for me. Um, but I mean, I love touring for the sake of playing shows and having those interactions with, with folks. Yeah. Yeah. But, what, what, and well, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, so, I mean, that's as far as, you know, having the connection from the last band to this, to this one, that's as, that's the extent of it. And with, with blues music and you're making this decision to say, Hey, I'm going, I'm going full, full blues here. Um, it's an interesting genre of music because a lot of folks think that it's aging out, right? The the older generation and there's a lot yep. of effort from the older generation to pass it down to the younger generation. I know it was important for you to really find your own sound while also honoring your influences, right? Um, how did you go about that? Uh, well, I've actually before far before i got in the or i started being predominantly a blues act um which you know i still have the same things where i have all these influences that are that i try to incorporate with it so which gets me in trouble sometimes with some of the the blues critics but um from the beginning of my guitar playing um i i didn't like to learn things verbatim um i like to listen a lot but then and if i did learn something i would immediately figure out a different way to do it so i'd have the concept of what they the guitarist you know or the musician what they did and then i would just switch it around so that it would sound like me and not them but but i'd have the same idea of what was happening in that moment you know, as, as far as blues concerned or, or anything like with, from, you know, and within various chord structures. Yeah. Uh, but I, from the very beginning, I had a, the conscious thought where I wanted to always do, find an approach that was me. And uh, so that I could make sure, cause I knew developing your own sound. I knew then that it would just take a, it, it takes a long time, you know, to, to become you and have your own voice on that instrument. Yeah. So and I just always actively pursued that. What did you learn in Chicago that you couldn't have learned in, in the greater Omaha area about the genre? Oh, it, I just learned by being at the jams and seeing our shows and seeing the folks that have like kind of, that lived and breathed blues out there. You know, so I, I got to see some of the, the older, you know, musicians. I mean, some of these guys were old. The one guy I'm thinking of, his name was oh, Leslie, I think. Oh, I can't remember his name, unfortunately. But he was, I mean, he was burning down the, 
Kingston Mines and he was 80, you know, he was rocking around with a, with a, with a headpiece on and it was just ridiculous. Yeah. And so just watching him, his live, I'd say mostly the live approach with how, you know, Chicago blues bands, it's kind of almost like, it's almost like a party blues, you know, it's like, um, at least the shows that I saw. And so I learned a lot in that, that regard. I learned a lot um, about how com- about how competitive Chicago is, you know, and I'm sure other large cities like Chicago. I mean, it was extremely competitive. So I just thought it 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 made me get more creative in in the business side because I thought, okay, so it's really competitive here. So I have to be extra creative on how to get my foot in the door. So there was this guy that I knew from the jam, like his shows, and he would he would let me come up and jam at his gigs, which was really nice of him. And so he knew yeah. he knew that he heard me play, and he you know, and I I assumed that he would maybe help me because in Omaha, in other places, you know, it was it was there's a lot more willingness for folks to help each other, but in Chicago. It wasn't like that. It was, um, well, anyway, in my situation, this I, I thought I'd, I would ask him if he could get me a gig, even at one club that he played, because he played all over Chicago in the greater Chicago area. And I offered him up, you know, the, the money made. Yeah, I even got, because he said no at first. I'm like, well, what if, you know, what if you just, whatever money I make that night, that's your money. I just want an opportunity to get in the door. And he wouldn't even do that. Um, which wow. I found, I was really um, surprised by that, you know, cause usually money, money talks, you know, yeah. in those situations you can really, you know, you can get, you can find ways in, you know, but he said no on the, uh, he said no about making that extra cash for himself. And, um, and I never, there was never a blues club that I got my foot in the door to where I could start playing a show there. So the year and a half I was there, I never actually played a a, a show at a blues club. Wow. You never had your own gig in 18 months. No, I played in, I had some shows in a coffee house and, and, uh, and I played a show in the Goose Island brewery just different places but never once in a blues club and actually to this day i've never i've never i've yet to ever play a show in a blues club in chicago i'm sure that's going to change very soon i hope so because that would be it would be cool to play at legends or or any 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 of the blues clubs like kingston mines yeah or uh, blues on um is it halstead blues on halstead um and yeah. is that it, when you say it was competitive and hard to get in the door? Was that just the music scene in general? Do you think that was the blues scene in Chicago, particularly? I think it was the music scene in general in Chicago. Um, yeah. It's so competitive, um, which I think um, there's lots of there's lots. I think that kind of helped. Um, that's like one of the driving forces on. There's a lot of stylish folks in Chicago, you know, and I think I think that that how competitive it is 
is part of the what drives folks to to you know be really stylishly dressed because I mean everybody that I met out there was was highly competitive in every direction because I think because it is so competitive you'd have to you'd have to be like in every single direction you'd want to be make sure you were competitive like on how you looked um, how you know the, you know with the way you dressed um, your music being the best musician you could possibly be you know having really great communication skills which you know that's not something that I've always you know I mean I don't even know if I have it now but that's something I had to work on with with my communication and my social social skills which is all which has been something that that's probably been the hardest part for me is the social thing you know yeah I mean um and that's always been a big challenge so anything like that would I could tell it was a big help, you know, being in such a competitive place like Chicago. I mean, were you a shy kid growing up? I mean, would you could, would you call yourself a shy person in general? Yeah, I was, I, um, I was shy and, but also I've always, always had the, the difficulty of, you know, being the person where, you know, there's a group of folks talking and I'm watching them, you know, in total bewilderment. And I'm like, how, you know, how are they, how are they, you know, it's like, I was almost like I was watching a, a band play, but I didn't know what methods they're using to like have their conversations go so seamlessly. And, you know, and if I ever tried to almost, almost every single time, if I tried to jump in the conversation for some reason, it would disrupt the conversation and I'd get odd looks. Um, and yeah. and this still happens to this day. Although I'm I'm a lot better socially now because I've worked at it. Yeah. Um, but and uh, but I think it's something that you know my son, he the same thing happens to him. I, I I see him on the playground. You know he he's not shy at all. He goes and talks to everybody. But for some reason, you know, those kids will avoid him. You know, and that's what I mean. I don't know what that, why that is. There's some weird social thing that, you know, that he's not getting either um, that I still obviously don't get. Cause I, you know, I can't help him with that, you know? Yeah. And, and so seeing him do that, seeing him go through that, um, you know, do you see maybe music being an outlet for him with that or, or, it's, you know, I mean, what do you see? how do you see him going, going through that in life? And, and, uh, you know, I don't know. I don't, I don't even know what I'm asking. Yeah, do you... I don't know either. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I do, I will be able to, I'm excited because, you know, I didn't, I didn't have somebody that I could ask about social things like that, you know, cause my mom's even worse than I am socially. And, you know, I just, I grew up with just my mother and, and, uh, and siblings, you know, sister, sister and brothers. And, but, um, so I'm, I'm excited. I'll, I'll be there to help him, you know, with social interactions the best I can, you know, offer up ways that I've discovered to become better socially. You know, yeah. I've always been better at communicating through music than, you know, through just speaking. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, going back to Chicago, you came home after 18 months, right? You've, you've obviously 
had some you've been forced to have some social skill work at this point. You've been forced to maybe dress dress up a little bit, whatever. I mean, you've been you've been forced to take your game up a level everywhere as would happen going to a place like that. But yeah. you didn't you didn't go home with your tail between your legs. Um, even though you didn't get that gig at a blues club, you kept working. Yeah. I mean, what was the decision to leave Chicago and what was your next step uh, when you got back home? Well, the, my decision to leave Chicago, I, I realized that, you know, because I have a desire to tour and I, I had a desire to tour then. And, and I just got to thinking about it. And I realized that it would, it was going to be, a lot of years before, you know, one, I was able to play regularly in the, the blues circuits in, or club circuits in Chicago to make enough money to support myself. Also, beyond that, you know, okay, so that's just me finally getting to the point where I can support myself living in Chicago. And what, how long am I going to have to play in Chicago before I can actually start to tour again? You know, so I can get a van and get out on the road. And I just, I, I just saw something that was going to take an extreme amount of time yeah. and because of how competitive it is. And I knew that if I moved back to, to Omaha, that I would have an easier time, not only getting a band together um, to, but also to get out on the road again, I knew I'd be able to get out on the road much sooner going to Omaha and I, and I almost was able to get back on the road immediately. And, all, and then I decided with getting into Chicago, I, I decided that it would be easier to get through the door in Chicago from coming from the outside in than be, trying to be in from the inside out like that. Yeah. And now doing this, the, you know, the blues club scene in general, I mean, there's they're all over the place right all over the country when you tour yep. um you know and there's some right by you of course there's the zoo, the zoo bars of the of the world and you know um yeah i mean were you able to get yourself into these blues clubs around the country um fairly quickly after that when you were going through you know iowa and indiana wherever else i mean did you start to have a circuit that you were doing regularly yeah, I did. Um, I did. I did lean on some of the clubs that I played at in the past with my old band, and some of them, even though they weren't blues clubs, they let me come play, and which yeah. was really cool of them. And that was just because um, they'd always liked what I'd done. And and there were some clubs that were, you know, because some of these places were more rock clubs, and there were some of them that were like had me come play a few times, and then we just never did anything again just because it was well really, really wasn't working there uh, getting into clubs especially in the blues world because it's a lot more of a welcoming genre on the business side than some of some other genres are um, so getting into some of the blues clubs around the area was fairly easy but there are some that have always been extremely difficult for me to get into um, there, and there's some that I, I saw, you know, like, uh, I saw him played. Uh, well, I take that back. Um, there was a club 
so for example, there was a town uh, in Kansas called uh, Topeka, Kansas. And I'd always, I'd played for in Topeka for years and always had a great following there. And the blues club there, um, which was called Uncle Bo's, I mean, I messaged them for years, well, several years, and they wouldn't let me in, even though I was like, hey, I have a following there and the folks will come to see me, you know? Yeah. And didn't let me in, didn't let me in. And it wasn't until I got into the International Blues Challenge through the through Omaha, through the mm-hmm. Omaha Blues Society, that that club in particular finally let me through the door to play a show. And but there's a few other clubs that are like that. There's I've always had a tough time with knuckleheads in Kansas City. I mean, yeah. I mean that's a that's a big place you want to be playing in the midwest right and i've i've played there a couple times um through through other musicians helping me get a show there which was really cool of them and i'm very grateful and thankful but it didn't but it didn't help me get into a better standing with the the owner and talent buyer i've never directly booked a show with him not not once so wow um, i'm hoping i'm whatever whatever is making that door such a hard one to squeeze through i'm hoping that sometime soon you know i can start playing there at least every you know three months you know which would be nice or a couple times a year would be really cool and and filling up those old kansas city royal seats on the outdoor stage right yeah no doubt (laughs) um so Let's talk about the IBC for just a second because you've done it several times. You've done it with your band. You've gotten all the way to the finals with your band. You won it uh, just last year as as a solo artist. First question about it is what do you think about there being a competition for it in the first place? I mean what are your thoughts around that? I know there's camaraderie when everyone's on Beale Street and jamming every night. Um and but but I mean, what are your what are your thoughts in general around having a blues competition? You know, I think they do a really great job of making you know it's a competition, but it's not a competition in where. But I think it's everybody's attitudes collectively that doesn't make it a typical competition because nobody's nobody's you know gunning for each other or anything like that. It's really positive. Um, the competition part is is kind of weird because you have to because you know any any competition has has rules and so there's lots of rules, which is good because I mean in the real world there are lots of rules and but I I happen to do really well with rules and I like rules and I like knowing the rules and. Um, knowing those rules helped me a lot so that i think because it was a competition you know you know that i think that helped me because it did take me a few years of knowing exactly you know you could read the rules but then there's all that un you know unspoken stuff too that's just kind of there on how to you know with a way to present yourself you know it says dress nice but it doesn't like give you like a a, a, you know a list of like okay do this do that you doesn't know. show you what color tie yeah exactly so 
kind of figuring that stuff out took a few years um and um so that was that was actually really helpful for me you know yeah because it kind of kind of bounces back to the social thing you know there's all these unspoken rules to social interaction and that's where you know i have a hard time with you know because those are just all unspoken you just have to kind of you know you know figure them out yeah no doubt trial and error yeah yeah and you went did you go was it two years in a row and i and i apologize i don't remember the exact years maybe it was like 16 and 17 or 17 and 18 where you went with your band yes it was in 2015 and 2016 i went with the band uh 2015 we made it to the semifinals, and in 2016 we made it to the finals um and got to play the orpheum stage which was amazing um and that was really incredible. And, you know, each, each, you know, in 2015, when we made it to the semifinals, that was a victory, you know, for the, for the guys and I, um, that was, that was our, actually our goal. It's like, okay, we're, this is our first time going, like, you know, we're, we're going to at least try to get to the semifinals, you know, and after that, you know, whatever happens, happens. And so we made it to the semifinals. So we were, we were thrilled about that. And then of course our, and then 2016, our only goal was to get to the finals and we made it there. And, and that was a victory for us, even though we didn't place in the finals at all. We were just in the top eight. Yeah. Uh, but it was still, it was still a victory for, for the guys and I, because just even being in the finals is a big, um, a big step forward with blue, you know, with like the blues talent buyers and festivals and clubs and everything. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure they're all there um, at the Orpheum theater and, and yeah. after going two years in a row, doing semifinals and then finals, at this point, you've got the dress code figured out. You've got, you know exactly what they're looking for. And in fact, you can probably uh, define what kind of tie everyone else should be wearing at this point. Um, so then you went back solo. And what was your decision to go back solo instead of uh, with a band? You, you, you know, I'd always thought about solo because, you know, seeing seeing some of the solo shows from going those years and and even in between before i've so before i made it there as a solo act i you know we went there and showcased and i got to see more so solo shows and i just i thought that maybe i would have an easier time you know going as a solo act and um, because something about the solo part of it all um, resonated with me because I've done uh, lots and I've lots and lots of solo stuff. I mean, a lot of times, a lot of times the solo shows are what really helps me survive in between the band shows. And so the, so when I decided that I wanted to eventually enter in as a solo actor, that maybe at some point that I would. I did, I started kind of practicing at all my uh, my solo gigs. There was one of my one of my gigs was every Tuesday night. So every Tuesday night for a couple of years, I would think about how I would conduct myself as a solo act at the International Blues Challenge. So I just I put a lot of time into thinking about how I would how I would approach it, and even my play to my playing especially. 
um, really honing in on more of the traditional side of it and trying to get that to come through in my music, especially after seeing some of these players there in the International Blues Challenge. Like they're really just phenomenal players yeah. and um, and have a phenomenal sound. You know, they're I'm like, you know, they're nailing it, you know, and I'm hearing this and not and not just them, too. There's the other performers that are there to perform, you know, that are touring acts, you know, um, not that the other ones aren't, but, you know, there's people that are just there for, to be playing gigs and hearing them. And uh, it's so that, you know, helped me, you know, uh, refine my sound for a couple of years before I made it to the 2020 uh, International Blues Challenge. And there, there is a definite difference in the sound with the band and the solo, and they're both awesome and unique. Um, mm -hmm. but that's interesting how you just described kind of honing it in in a different way and having to think, what's my solo set going to be like? Um, so when you go to the finals uh, in 2020, right before the shutdown, I should mention too, this is in January, right January, end of January? Uh-huh. Um, you go and you win. What I mean, what's going through your head when when they call your name? Um, I there was at one point I thought I was imagining it. Um, I was, I guess, kind of shell shocked. Um, I just kept having this thought where, okay, this is, this is a mistake. You know, at any moment now, somebody's gonna say, "Oh, hey, wait, wait, that was the wrong name." And yeah, um, uh, it was disbelief because at that point i mean i've been playing music for 20 years and up until that point that was by far you know, the biggest break i'd ever had in my career you know because it you know because what you get out of that is you know is a game changer especially if you take full advantage of it it's a game changer for your career and so that was a big i was just thinking about that stuff you know like okay um, you know, did they make a mistake? You know, like, is this happening? Like, you know, like this could actually be something that really, really helps my career for the first time. And all this time that I've been touring and traveling. And so I was having a lot, I guess I was just having lots of stuff that were running through my, through my mind. And I mean, you're talking about taking full advantage, um, of it and, you know, it, it, it makes me think too. I mean, COVID happened right after this, everything shut down within what, four to six weeks after this happened. And I, I, I would think, I don't know for sure, but I would think after winning as a solo duo, I don't, I don't think, you know, some of these blues clubs you're talking about, it seems like they'd all take you at this point, right? They've all, they all know your yeah. name. They all know you rock and, and you have some clout in the, in the blues scene now. So you're going to get some some butts in seats if that was their worry you know yeah um it, it is it hard was it hard to take full advantage and is it still difficult i mean we're just starting to do shows again i mean how, what was the impact do you think of i won the competition here we go and then and then it's flattened by covid yeah well so right after the competition happened uh, i went right i went right out on tour for a month after that and so that whole month you know riding high you know like 
playing shows and seeing it like a, you know, it was like an overnight difference in the shows, you know, and people, people were coming out to the shows to see, and I went on tour with the band, you know, just, they were coming out to see the band more so than, you know, ever on a tour down South and back. And, you know, folks would ask me about the blues challenge. So it made like word was getting out. And so that was exciting. And I'm like, you know, this, this is, this is just what we needed. This is going to help. So help the band out so much, you know, even though I wanted as a solo act, um, you know, I'm like, this is really going to help propel the band. Um, and then, and then when, when the shutdown started happening, I was like, I couldn't help but have a feeling. I was like, I was like, of course, of course, this finally, you know, something big finally happens and, and then it just, everything gets shut down. So I was worried about the shows because I, I got a lot of big festival gigs out of the win. So I was worried about that. I wasn't, I wasn't too worried about it. You know, I was like, I was like, okay, I guess, you know, I guess I'm still in the trenches, you know, and cause I've always been in the trenches and that's, you know, I play music because I love it. And that's being in the trenches has never deterred me. So I was like, if I, if I need to be there a little bit longer then so be it. And, um, but thankfully the festival gigs that were, that I did get like the Chicago blues festival, the, the blues cruise, uh, the, I think uh, the big blues bender in Vegas, they, they just all got shuffled to at first they, um, well, they all got shuffled over to 2021 and we're going to keep, keep the same lineup. So I didn't lose any gigs in that in that regard um, from that. Um, so I was thankful for that. And then this year, um, the, oh, I, I get to do the blues cruise this year. That's happening. The, uh, the blues bender that's happening. There's, I mean, there's a, there's a couple that I don't know if they're ever going to happen or not now, but the Chicago blues fest, it got canceled again this year, but it just got moved to 2022 but I'm still on the lineup for 2022. So it just kind of got in a large part, just kind of just got spread out, which might actually be um, more beneficial than just having everything happen in just one year. And then like, all right. And then, you know, it's like, all right, you're on your own, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's actually nice that it's kind of spread out. Yeah. No, I, I, I hadn't even thought of that. That probably is, um, really nice. And you were mentioning still being in the trenches, uh, you know, I think the people that win these competitions, these big competitions, whether it's international blues competition or, or something else, it's not like they win. And that, that was the big thing. The only thing that happened in their career. I mean, it's people like you that have been working their asses off in the trenches for two decades in your case. Um, and then this, you know, this thing happens that you just deserve, uh, that, that you've worked so hard for. And I mean, it just has to be a cool feeling after playing, you know, the touring musician, right? You go out and you, sometimes you drive 600 miles and make no money, um, and, and have nowhere to sleep, but to get something like this has to feel really, really good. Like, Hey, my, not that you were entitled to it, but the fact that you got it is has to feel really good, right? I mean, yeah, 
it, it did feel really good. It still feels really good. And I had a thought, a couple of the thoughts that I had, you know, cause I was just having so many, you know, um, racing thoughts in that moment. And, you know, where one, one was that, you know, this is why, this is why I stuck with it all these years it was for this moment, you know, I was like, and I was even more thankful. I mean, cause it, I, I can't do anything else other than music. Um, I just wouldn't be happy, you know? Yeah. And, but I did find myself thinking that and being thankful that I just always stuck with it and to have that moment also, um, Oh, what was the, the Oh, I was, uh, I was, I was high-fiving the, the 16 year old me, you know, yeah. because I I had that conversation with myself when I was 16. It was like, no matter what, you know, you're, you know, never give up and, and, uh, and always keep playing. So at that moment, I was definitely high-fiving the 16 year old me for sure. Wow. Oh, that's, that's got to feel great. Um, and now, you know, you have kids of your own. Um, do you have one or two? Uh, two. You have yep. two. And how old? Uh, uh, my little boy, who's Hector the third. He's four. And then my little girl, she's two, and her name's Hendrix. Hector and Hendrix. Uh, how do you balance, now that you have, you know, a family also with your career, how have you gone about balancing the two? Um, it's, it's definitely had its challenges, uh, because, you know, my family is very important to me. Uh, a lot of times, um, just take them with me on the road, but it's easier to take them with when they're really little. And, you know, my son, he's about to start school. So, and plus now that he's getting older and our daughter, she's going to be turning three this year. It's they like riding in the van less, you know, on those long rides, which I don't blame them. I don't like, I don't like them sitting in there for the long rides either. And, um, but so I'm just trying to find ways, you know, because my family's number one. And so it's just making me get more creative on how to pursue my career and my love of music, but also, be able to have my family and have a healthy family, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And absolutely. yeah. So just, uh, trying to re kind of rethink how I tour and stuff like that, you know, just trying to make it to where I'm not just, I'm not just gone all the time, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm sure it's a, I'm sure I don't have any kids. I'm sure it's a tricky balance. Um, yeah. The last thing I wanted to ask you about is you were, I don't know if you completely started the festival on your own or if you were one of the founders, um, but there's a festival every summer in Omaha um, that is happening this summer, right? It didn't last summer. Yep. It is. And it, Market for the Blues, is that the correct title? Yeah, in the Market for Blues um, okay. festival here in Omaha, like the old, in the old market, Omaha. Um, yeah. That's still happening. And I'm excited that it is because um, last year it didn't happen. Um, and I, I had the initial idea for the, the Blues Fest and I started it with 
uh, my friend Emily Cox, who is amazing at her superpower is knowing how to run a festival. And wow. so w- without her, it would have never happened. Um, but I got the idea when, when I was in Memphis and, you know, cause um, the Memphis on Beale street, uh, it looks really similar to the streets of the old market in Omaha, which, I mean, it makes sense. It, they appear to be from a, a similar time frame, and also, you know, they're they're both on the the waterways, you know, which, you know, once upon a time, you know, the like the boats boats were the semi trucks, you know, and the the main mode of transportation, and so it's just they have that they had that same feel. Um, is is Beale Streets, and I just thought, man, that'd be it'd be perfect to try to capture, you know, like a taste of Beale or Bourbon Streets, but like right in Omaha, Nebraska, and because the old market's perfect for it. And I told the idea to my friend Emily Cox, and she really liked it. And so we both we both went to work on be, making it become a reality. And it started out with two clubs on Harney Street, and one of which was the Harney Street Tavern. And um, I think we had three bands at both each each club. And then the next year was three clubs and it just, and then it has snowballed since then. And I'm not sure of the, how many clubs, I think the, the year before last, there was, oh, I, I can't remember how many clubs uh, or how many bands, but it's, I mean, it's substantially larger now. Yeah. And, uh, and it, every year it gets a little bigger. And for folks who want to attend, it's the first weekend in August this summer. And, uh, maybe we can put a ticket link in the show notes or something. Yeah, that would be great. And it is a lot of fun, you know, just bouncing around, catching the different bands. And, you know, I like that element where, you know, you have to, I think it just makes it a little bit more special, that element where you have to pick and choose who you're going to see and you have to choose who you're going to miss. Um, uh, but it's, it's cool, you know, putting that schedule together and creating your journey for the weekend. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Well, I appreciate you so much for chatting with me. Um, any last words? Did we leave out anything? I don't think so. I, I really appreciate you having me a lot. I really appreciate this. And it's been a lot of fun. And thank you. Yeah, like, likewise. It's been a blast. If you don't mind, stay on the line with me for just a sec. But in front of our audience, thank you. And I'll talk to you soon. Thank you. All right, that's Hector Anchando. We're going to play out with one of his songs called Sunshine. Uh, first, very quickly, if uh, you'd like to help out the podcast in a monetary way, I'm on Patreon at patreon.com slash Andy Sido, S-Y-D-O-W. I sometimes post up uh, exclusive content from these interviews. Uh, I post up songs early before they're released uh, to everybody else. Sometimes I do a a production video where I talk about um, how I put stuff together and wrote the horn line or or whatever. Um, But it helps keep me going, so I appreciate your consideration there. And if you'd like to help out in a non-monetary way, 
please consider giving the podcast a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to your podcast. It just takes a second, and that really helps me out a lot. Any questions, comments, concerns, hate mail, or death threats, send them to me at middleclassrockstar at gmail.com. Here's Sunshine by Hectron Chondo Band. Yeah. 